0: PyTest is very flexible. It's great for testing packages, of course, but also much more. Preyson Daniel was on Python Bytes recently, actually episode 250, which we'll link in the show notes. Preyson is a principal data scientist, and he does a lot of machine learning. And he mentioned that he loves PyTest and uses it to test machine learning pipelines. So obviously I wanted to know more and asked him to be on the show. This is a pretty cool discussion. I hope you like it. Thank you to PyCharm for sponsoring this episode. PyCharm helps me to understand and play with my code. The refactoring tools are amazing. A simple one is just to rename a method and it just gets renamed everywhere. There's a whole bunch of other cool refactoring tools as well. If I changed a bunch of code, I can visually see the diff of my code and the Git repo code. And I can even visually walk through the local history to see all of my changes. I actually love refactoring and PyCharm helps me have fun while I'm doing it. Try a PyCharm Pro for four months by going to testandcode.com PyCharm. Welcome to Test Code. We're, we're going to end up talking about testing with data science and machine learning, but these are all vague terms, at least to me. And I don't what is what does data science and machine learning mean for, for your role? What does that mean?
1: Yeah, so um, I think this is uh, really. Um, I think we can start with some kind of clearing uh, things. What do we mean by data science and what do we mean by machine learning and all those that. So uh, so when it comes to data science, I would think the most easiest way to define it is uh, is uh, uh, starting with the, so many people say it's start with data and then you do the science. For me, I go like, no, it's actually start with the business need. Like what is it that a business has at the moment that they want to optimize or 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 minimize? It could be they want to optimize um, uh, the uh, click rates, or it could be that they want to sell more product, or maybe with the insurance they want to predict which of the customers gonna churn, uh, stop being their customer, and try to do something about it, or maybe they want to. Um, to know which of the customers they should call, and when they call, they will most likely buy an extra, uh, uh, an extra package for them. So it's usually start with the business need, and then from there comes the data. Do we have any data that we could use to fulfill this business need? So in this case, when it comes to data science, we will have this data, and we'll say, okay, let's just do some data exploration and see what can we find in this data. And for me, I usually say it's even better to start with something called data mining. Uh, And data mining is that you don't even start testing models or anything. It's that you say, let me look at this data and come with some assumption and try to uh, affirm or disaffirm my assumption, just looking at the data. And Mm -hmm. this can take you really far away. Uh, But after that then comes to, okay, so we have this data, we want to optimize this, then we build some models algorithm which in a simple term is just the representation of the data. So if you're trying to predict which customer is going to stop being our customer, we look at the past data to see what was the behavior that led this group of customers stopping being our customer. And given this feature, we can predict, oh, we can see uh, Brian is starting to follow the pattern of the customers that actually stop being our customer. Let's do something about it. So that's how you look at the past data to try to predict the things that are happening now or things that are are going to happen. And then of course, in data science, there's like a branch of different, uh, now we jump to machine learning. And this in machine learning is just different uh, technique to answer this kind of questions, right? So if we uh, create this kind of branches uh, in machine learning, we we have this uh, different pool of something called supervised machine learning so ideally you will have a data set that both has some things that will help you predict a specific target like saying we're trying to predict uh the price of houses in new york that means we will have a certain data set where we have certain features could be rooms and location and everything and then we have price so we both have kind of questions and answers and then we teach the model to find what are the rules that takes us from this question to the answers so in this case it's called supervised learning because we both know what is the uh what the answers needs to be so in this case when we are predicting something a good model is the model that comes close to the answer that we already know uh so in this so if we take a very uh, simple approach, is that you take your data set, you split uh, into uh, training and then validation. And then in the training, you teach the machine both the answers and the expected, uh, the, the question and the expected answer. And once your machine learns something, then you take the uh, pool, which you haven't shown what answers should be. And then you just send the, quest, uh, the question in and the machine will give you the answer. And then you compare the machine answer with the answer that you know should be true. And then you compare these two and says, okay, how different are they, right? So, and then the best model is the one that comes very close to uh, what you're trying to predict. And then that's the model you will say, oh, this is a better model that we need to put in production or do whatever things that. But this comes in a, A field of a supervised is called supervised learning and then there's something called unsupervised learning where you don't have the answers Uh, so you have the questions you don't have the answers so you will have to take the question and figure out what answers can we get from these questions and then there you of course need to have a human who comes and says okay it seems this here is about this one. So this is about this one. So this is like clustering, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so in this case, it's unsupervised. So you don't know the answer prior. You ask the machine to look at this question and come up with answers. And you, as a human being, will look at those answers, Is Do they make sense? And the model that comes up with the answers that make sense is what somebody will put in production. So and then from there, of course, there are others there's like uh, uh, different kind of models beyond those ones, but the classical ones are this unsupervised and supervised. But then we haven't gone into the realm of uh, uh, deep learning, and uh, we haven't even started going into reinforcement learning. So, uh, which is just so there are so many elements depending on what kind of business logic you're trying to solve. But for okay. me, I, for me, uh, I'm a classical what you call like a business type uh, a person who does not just get excited by a model. model this model perform awesome stuff or oh, we can beat uh, a chess player with this new algorithm for me that things do not excites me uh, what really excites me is how do this algorithm help a certain company fulfill their business need or when it comes to uh, helping Uh, bring social change. How are my algorithm helping bring a social change, right? Like maybe we're trying to fight racism in a just system. So how do we create algorithm that are actually bypassing these biases, right? So those are the things that excite me that I use algorithm to solve real world problems right? And, yeah. and it's not to create more problem, which we always do, but trying to move towards the other side of uh, uh, of getting to the, what I call the utopia world, the world we want as, I mean, the world that we wish we have, which we don't have. Uh, <laughs> because because it's, it's, it's a thing, because I usually tell people most of our models are just mathematical representation of the data that we have. So if you train your data on say, say um, American social justice or anything, then it will become biased because that's what our data is. Right? Yeah. Because data are just not uh, it, it, like the models are simply the reflection of our data. Uh, in that sense, uh, when we come in, we want to start fine tuning the world that is to the world that we want to be, right? That's where we come in and say, okay, we can always say, okay, we know our data is biased. How do we unbias it when we train a model? So the model won't learn the bias if left by itself.
0: Oh, that's true, yeah, okay.
1: Right? And this also is a part where I will come to cover when we talk about testing, because this is also very, very important.
0: This was actually a great, great introduction. And I'm now more more even more excited to learn more about uh, data science and machine learning than I was before. I don't think I'll ever get to the point where I really want to get too into data science contests and stuff like that. But I like the idea of, like, solving business problems mm. and people problems. It's too bad yeah. that they're not the same thing, actually, though.
1: <laughs> yeah. So so, so I, I think there is where I usually have a disclaimer, because most people, when they think of data science, they will think something like cargo. You know, you have these cargo masters and everything. Yeah which is awesome, but I think it's just wrong in many ways. I know I'm gonna be in a bad light when I say something like this. Because like when you do something like Kaggle, we are actually training data scientists who actually care about model performance. So they are competing on which model performed really well, right, which model is the best model that goes up in this ladder. Uh, But when you come in the real world, Um, I usually say, I really care so much less on how the model performs because there are other things that are in play. Is this model fair? Because you can have a highly performing model, but absolutely biased. Yeah. Right? So, So we are creating a culture of data scientists that care much about model performance, and they are usually somehow blind by other very equally most important thing like what features are we feeding this model Uh, is this model uh, how is this model going to be used is it going to be used for greater good or for greater evil right Uh, so so those uh, uh, so for me i want the cargo competition to be give me the best model which is also the best ethical model right (laughs) so they should rank with the uh, first the Ethical of the model and then the accuracy. But now it's simply just the best performing model, which I just think is the, it's just bringing, it's training a new wave of data scientists that are less likely to think of deeper things and only focus on building this super cool, powerful, accurate uh, models instead of knowing that, oh no, there are other. Very equally powerful parameters that needs to be uh, in place, and this is why we are usually in news. Oh, see, Google has released this thing that is now segregating women. Oh, the, a movie Netflix, I think, is called "Coded Bias," where uh, the, the 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 narrator discovered that she's uh, black. She discovered that some of the facial recognition could not find her because she's black. And if she put a white mask, then suddenly she appears uh, uh, being detected. And if we data scientists were trained in this ethical way, we will be able to catch such uh, uh, um, these outliers very fast because we will do tests and we will discover and we will cover to this one. We will discover that we cannot catch every edges, but then we, will, we can make ourselves vulnerable and say, if you can see something that we haven't catch, then do write an issue so that we can run an iteration and correct our blunder.
0: Oh, right?
1: yeah. yeah. Uh, because that's how you, it is when it comes to test. You run your code, you discover it fell somewhere, and then you write an issue. Hey, this is what I did, and this is what fell. And then I go like, "Oops, okay, I can see that uh, our models were trained in white male, and there was no black African women. So let's just run new test, uh, new training with black African women, and voila! Next iteration, you can be found too. So things like that."
0: Well, that's and that's a that's kind of a deep end of this topic. Is yeah, like how do we how do you look at the data and say we don't have the right data or we don't yeah, have yeah, the right yeah. data set?
1: Or yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: or maybe too much data. We're collecting the wrong things. Um, mm, mm, mm,
1: mm. Yeah. So so now we can start diving <laughs> into the machine learning and testing and te- tell you like how we started this journey in our uh, in the place where I am at the moment. Uh, so I was not introduced in testing in a good way. So uh, and I began by hating testing. So oh, no. I thought it was yes. I was introduced with unit you know, the Python, where I had to write a lot of classes and my simple test for small thing just took half of a page. Uh, like I have to know how it should enter and how it should shut down and all these steps, which I go like, I don't need this. And then all this uh, assert this, assert that. And then my testing code was like, gigantic. and. But I was happy because uh, in this company where I was working, they were trying to remove silos. So they wanted the data scientists to work with the uh, software engineers and DevOps. So they make sure that they will take a data scientist and put in a DevOps uh, team, and they will take a DevOps person, they put in a data science team. So in this case, you get to learn what is the other side doing.
0: That's and great.
1: Yeah, and it was really great because then I was introduced to Node.js and I had to code a lot of JavaScript there. And of course, they were real developers. Like most of the data scientists are not software developers. We just do NumPy, Pandas, and then we think we can code Python, right? And then (laughs) we discover that, oh no, there is a lot of deeper thing like there's a solid principles that we need to start thinking about there's all this huge way of designing our code base that we have not even think about right so when you are thrown into the other pool then whoa they go like no you start by writing your test then you write your uh, your code and they go like what this is how you guys do it yeah but of course i will not be able to do it but i can see why you guys are doing this thing there so but then I think the Node.js uh, people—they did not know so much Python, so they introduced me to the unit test in Python. Like I don't know why it's called unit test in Python anyway, but th- it was not that easy. And I think it was uh, a—it was the one podcast you were doing, and you talked about Pytest, right? And that was the first time I actually went and looked how Pytest does what I was doing in unit tests. And then I discovered that my code base suddenly became very tiny and it was readable and I could understand and I could parameterize and I could do all this awesome stuff with it. And then the end is that the world changed for me. So everything I write had to have a test and I was bashing everyone who's not having a test, you know, taking my uh, my software uh, time taking my time with the software engineer into the data science world and says, hey guys, we need to apply, like uh, building ML pipelines should be exactly as doing software engineering. Just like the way they're doing their stuff, we need to do the same. So we don't have shortcuts. So so in most cases, when you hear about data scientists, they will start like with a Jupyter Notebook, uh, pull in some data with Jupyter Notebook, do some expository data analysis, do some prototyping of different models and come with something awesome. And some people think that's the end and they go like, oh, that's just the beginning. So that's just a a prototype of what you can do. So from there it's like, then how do you move from the Jupyter Notebook to the real world? You know, like having your source code, having your tests, having your documentations and everything in a more structured way, right? So, So in my team, I don't want any Jupyter notebook in production for some reason. Uh, so we always have this folder called Notebooks, which is usually uh Git ignore where they can do a lot of experiments. And only some experiment that we want to keep track of, then we will keep those ones because we maybe we made big decisions and we want also some people to do quick prototyping to see why the thing that we do. But otherwise I should say Jupyter Notebooks are simply for prototyping. I know, uh, I think it's Netflix that have taken Jupyter Notebook to another level. Um, I respect that, but I'm still in a classical way where no, we still have to go the old way of having, uh, just like the way you create a normal package, which we could uh, pip install. That's how we should build all our pipelines.
0: Yeah. Right. Well, OK, a oh. couple of things I want to uh, poke at before we move forward. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I, there's some Netflix is a big company. I, mm. I And I think you're right about some of that um, from Netflix. Um, but they, they operate on a model where each individual team gets to make their decisions. Mm. So um, so I'm sure that there's some people that some people at Netflix that totally agree with you. And there's some people that use notebooks in production. I think it's probably it's not we we probably can't do a blanket statement on them um uh the other thing is uh um i i had i wanted to ask you about the this this okay so when you said you were using unit test the as a framework it it's uh it is a diff- lot different than pytest um but you can do similar things but you i guess i, I had a question about that using unit test isn't the same as writing unit tests um, yes,
1: that's correct.
0: Yeah. Um so uh when you switched to pytest were you writing the same kinds of tests or changing the kinds of tests you were writing?
1: No, I think we were doing similar tests, right? Uh but they just became easier. Uh and they became more like we could write more tests since the uh, the code base was smaller. So if okay. you compare if you compare just so we were doing similar tests. So we had one file here, which we used the unit test l- library from Python. And another one next to it is a PyTest. Uh, and one was just taking almost a, a third uh, number yeah. of, of, uh, um, uh, uh, of our code base, right? And in this case, uh, when you reach the point where I am, for me, writing less code is better. Um, it's because it's just, uh I usually says uh, the uh, it's a snake it will bite back so i says uh, <laughs> so it's, i usually say it's, a pi- a pi- it's it's a python watch out he bites back <laughs> so in this case you have to write as minimal as possible then the bite will not be as painful as when you have this huge uh tank of code so um yeah, so so it, if I take you to uh, I can just take it to what like what we're doing and how this test comes into play right?
0: Yes, that'd be great.
1: yeah so so we have this kind of uh, we perform some kind of unit tests, and this of course is testing different uh, di- different things. so we will test we will test like the the, uh, the input features. So we know okay, in this project we're expecting this kind of inputs. Right, so and then we know this input should be integers. This should be strings. This should be this. And now thanks to Pydantic, we can do all this validation and everything, and uh, this becomes way way easier. But when we started this, Pydantic was not there, so we were not having all this. The uh, what you call like free lunch. Uh, We had to do everything ourselves, but now we are replacing so much with Pydantic, then it becomes uh, quite easier. But we're also doing some kind of uh, another part, we're doing configuration tests. So when you create models, uh, some things when you change just a little can create a huge impact, right? So uh, So an example is we are creating a cluster and we say that this cluster should contain 55 topics. So, if somebody just goes and change to fifty four then you can get a completely another picture right okay. so uh, and then maybe we are training a model and we want to reproduce this, then we will usually set the random seed to be able to reproduce the same numbers right so if somebody goes and change this random seed to something else, then you can get you can get a totally complete different model. Oh, All together, yeah, because uh, because when you train a model, uh, basically what usually it starts is that the model would generate some, uh, so, so imagine we are trying to predict the house price. So we know maybe we need the number of rooms and we need the location. So maybe location plus the number of rooms will tell us about the sales. I'm just making it very simple, but you can add different features. So when you take, when the model start, it's usually just create a random weight. So it says model times 0.01, no. So it says like room, whatever the size of the room times 0.01 plus maybe the location, which is maybe a hundred meter from something times 0.02 equals to, the thing we are trying to predict. So these initial weights here are usually randomly selected. So it depends on how you start them, how your model can be uh, uh, can converge when you are trying to train it. So taking the same uh, initial conditions are very very important. So when so when we're performing this kind of test, we usually do this configuration testing that we make sure that. The same configuration we use in uh, in our model to produce this uh, uh, in our development to produce this model, we have to test it that the, it stays the same, because if somebody changes it, then we change an entire pipeline.
0: Oh, okay, right? so you you have to make sure you use those um, those configuration on the final thing also.
1: Yes, okay. so in order to make sure that we keep the consistency and we can also. Uh, reproduce the model. Because sometimes they usually ask, uh, a customer comes and says, okay, how? why was I scored like this? Then you need to rewind time back to play along how did this happen. So if something went wrong there, then you cannot uh, reshow how the model reached to that conclusion. So you need to backtrack everything uh, back to say, okay, you were scored this way because of A, B, C, D. Yeah. right um so so we we have this unit test where if i take it from start where we test these different functionality so the input is the same the configuration we use to test the model is the same okay given this feature if you put them in the model will produce this outcome right so we have to test that one so if you put this it will produce this if you put this it will produce this so we can repeat this again and again when we put it in development, when we put it in staging, and when we put it in production. So we can see, okay, it's a consistent behavior throughout, right? And if anything happens, then there's a failure somewhere, and then we go and figure out, okay, what has changed? Um, And so, and then another biggest part, we have something called the fairness tests. Uh, So these are something that are brand new due to GDPR and due to ethical AI. Uh so these um fairness tests they are more like uh things that will have saved a lot of company getting into bad press. So ideally is that we test if the model segregates a certain group, right? So uh we, we we look at different uh things. So we have something like um uh, uh, protected attributes. So with different cases, there are different protected attributes. So some people can say age, gender, sex is protected attribute. So once we know these protected attributes, we come to the conclusion, are uh, this protected attribute needs to be removed? Or if they're there, how do we ensure that they do not cause trouble? Uh, yeah. yeah, for, for example, uh, one I think there was one company in New Zealand or something where they were offering insurance um, uh, premium and then if you are actually were born in Saturday you got a different premium than if you were born in I mean if you were if your birth date was on Saturday you got a different premium than the person who actually had it on a different day of the week <laughs> which is hilarious
0: doesn't make any sense
1: It doesn't make sense at all. I I might have mixed those dates, but it was just your price was given according to which day of the week, which is just hilarious. So if this test were put in place, they will have flagged that already, right? Uh, They will have not allowed this model to go in production in the first place. So these are like attributes to which we, uh, so the fairness test, something we call like a counterfactual tests. So you pretend, uh you you send different kind of inputs which are very similar but you only change those uh attributes that you think might cause issues right so it could be sex it could, uh, or gender right or it could be um sexual orientation and then you see whether the model uh returns similar results right so if says if someone says okay we want the same model to predict people who live in Copenhagen area and people who live in sub suburb they should get the same result so i will send two different latitude one in Copenhagen, another one in another place and the model should give me the same results so okay. if it doesn't give me the result we said okay our model is segregating the demo geographic where you are right
0: interesting so, so, my, so it's, yeah my thoughts would be um that we shouldn't you shouldn't even have that data like uh like male or female shouldn't well, it, you could be productive if you just don't have that data there. However, yeah. it might be some other piece of data that ends up inadvertently uh segregating male and female populations. That even if you take that out, and yeah, yeah, so yeah. having that data there allows you to test, make that test to say, are we? Regardless of whether or not the, the model is using that piece of data, there may be some other piece of data that's correlated that's Causing the bias,
1: or yeah, something. yeah. So, so for me, i I usually, I am usually torn apart between removing data or dropping data or anything. I, I usually more uh, proposing or uh, putting into place uh, an awareness of something. So it's it's good just to be aware of what you have. Should someone drop something because it's sensitive? And maybe yes, maybe no. But but we should just be very transparent about it. So we should make sure people are aware about these features. What we are trying to do with this counterfactual testing is trying to overcome this part of problems by saying, OK, given this feature, when we send to the model, how do we see the model uh, behaving? I think the problem comes when we don't know which features we have. And we are, once we know it, we're trying to hide the truth. Uh, For me, I go like, no, we should try to know which features we have. And when these features are controversial, let's become very loud about it when we're using them. Like we become really aware we are using them and we are very careful using them. And that means we have to run a lot of, counterfactual tests to make sure that if it goes against any things that is not right, then we shut it down,
0: Uh, right? So So counterfactual, what does counterfactual mean?
1: So a counterfactual is a, we call like states of affair that could be, but they're not like, so so a counterfactual will be that uh, we are having this conversation. So there's another possible scenario where we're not having Mm -hmm. this conversation. So it's just like uh, it's a counterfactual. Uh, so it's a possible states of affair. So they don't need to be there. So, but they can be there so that we can test something.
0: Okay. So we're uh, we've been talking about several types of tests that look at how the what the behavior of the model, right? Yeah. Are, th- are you writing these in Pytest?
1: Yes, we are writing all <laughs> this in <laughs> Pytest. Isn't it crazy?
0: Yeah. So, yeah. so you're treating. So, how does how does that work? Are You're treating the model as a high level thing, where you're you have have certain data sets already used pre-canned data sets, or yeah. you make them so, up yourself, or
1: yeah. So, so uh, like we start with the data set that we receive. So, when we train our model, we put a, uh, some kind of model in production, and when before the model goes into production, it goes through these different tests. So, we test uh different parameters it, does our data set contain this way uh, when we do uh text pre-processing did we remove some words that needs to be removed like as m- people's name needs not to be there so we have to check if there are any someone's name is jacob in the data set it needs not to be there if jacob is there then the test will fail so it okay. will take uh different names and then try to say are they in the uh, in these pre process steps and then there are something called like stop words, like words which we don't think have any meaning or anything. Uh, and then after that, when we have a model, when we do this test, we can pull this model down and run this counterfactual test. We want to the model is uh, not affected by these protected attributes. Oh yeah. That's and
0: cool. then
1: if if someone else comes say, oh, I think you should add this one more test kind of test then we change this one single parameter and and see will the model still behave the same and if it fails then we say thank you you have found an edge case that we didn't consider then we yeah. go retrain and fix that issue but the cool thing is all in pytorch isn't it crazy like yeah. we, you can write all these things uh, all these tests in a really uh, systematic way another part we do a lot of tests is we do benchmark testing so whenever we deployed a new model, we we have to make sure that uh, we do something. I, I think in, in Google, they call it the, the, what they call the dark mode or something like that. They call the, the dark launch or something, Google. Uh, but we just call the shadow deployment. So ideally is that whenever we introduce a new model, it has passed everything. We do the test where we run our newest model and the old more uh, and the current model almost parallel, and then it perform all these other tests too, like uh, stress testing, and see uh, how much can it be heat? Does it get the same uh, result? Is it better than the model that we have? And here, we actually we, we are using Pytest to check the performance of the model that is running, which becomes uh, what we are looking for, and then compare to the model that we're trying to put in uh, deployment uh, have you know this co- uh, do you know this concept of shadow deployment
0: it, it sounds like you're just testing two different systems to compare them
1: yes yes so, <laughs> so 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 ideally is that you send the traffic which goes to the model that is in production also to the model that is uh, uh, in the shadow mode and then you can see uh, how are they performing but the model in production is the one that still return the results. Well, oh okay. model in the shadow mode actually return the result in a place where we can do uh, the testing.
0: Okay, so it's not really so it's kind of like a, a um segment te- segment AB testing where you yes, take a segment exactly. of the population but yes. it's in- but instead of just using the new model for the new data you're you're taking a portion of the traffic and te- yes. sending it to 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 two different models. Yes. And comparing the two.
1: Yes, and then there we're running the test to see, okay, is the new model outperforming the model that is in production? Because if it's not outperforming it, then there's no need to change, right? Yeah. Uh, So so in this case, you have to say that the model we are trying to put is better than the model that is current in production. And we can say, well, it takes the same traffic without uh, causing any issue. And uh, well, if you guys are happy with it, then we can deploy the new model. And then we just switch to the other one, and the end user does not know even what happened.
0: Um, a similar approach that happens a lot with uh, refactoring, um, yeah, where yeah, yeah. somebody says that we we don't intend to change the behavior at all, but mm-hmm. we want to make sure that the data, the, the output that we come up with is the same and that we have a degraded performance. Yeah, like
1: yeah, 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 yeah. Cool. Yeah, so 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 those are those are the cool thing that we are not the cool things. I think they are just the thing that PyTest have made them cool doing as a data scientist.
0: Well, and so those are high level some some fairly high level things to test for around around mm. these these models and stuff. Um, but then also some people um, are also using software tests for little tiny things like I write a function I want to make sure that the the function works right um, how how I expect it. Are your software developers or your data scientists using that as well?
1: Yes, 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 that's actually, um, so that is in the part of the unit testing when we do all about uh, the input feature. So when when I talked about that is that we usually have a function that loads data, right? So we actually test this function, did it load the data the way we think it should load the data? Yeah. Uh, like a sample set okay and then we have different uh pandas pipelines so we maybe are removing missing uh rows or we are trying to remove a uh, duplicate error we also test those function that is this function doing the thing that we think it's supposed to do okay uh, so those are part of the whole uh, the unit and then, when we actually doing the like the API test, there is also we do like integration tests because then you are testing both the uh, the function that load the data or load the model did load the right model and the model has not changed; it's still the same model as we think it should be. And then when I put the data, the pipeline to clean the data did clean the data the way we say it should be. So we test all those uh, uh ingredient uh, yeah. also as a whole, right?
0: Yeah, uh, but. And that's and that's totally cool. Um and I but I'm 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 glad that you came out that that's with the the perspective of the this um at the high level being able to mm-hmm. do counterfactual yeah. testing, benchmark testing, all these different mm-hmm. things with pytest because that's one of the things I'm trying to tell people about is um you you can use these software testing tools it, to test really anything if you can get at the information in python you can use software testing tools to, like PyTest, to check whatever you want, um, and then you get like red light, green light. Is it is it good or bad? Uh, and I love that. Um,
1: yeah, yeah. So, so we, we discovered something very extraordinary. The moment we started doing a lot of tests, we have we have cut down the debugging circle big time, like. Um, we we discover that we could refactor our code without any fear yeah. because there's nothing as fearful as refactoring a code, knowing that it will break so many things, right? So whenever we do anything, I just says, okay, we're gonna refactor this part. We do some changes uh, and then we run the tests and we see, hey, the tests are passing. So we didn't break something. Oh, they are not passing think we broke something, right? And then from there, we have to go quickly and figure out. And the good thing is that I usually force my data scientists to write good uh, 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 assertion error, failure. So I go like, oh, we expected this, but we got this. Then it tells me, oh, quickly, I can just go see where it failed, right? Because sometimes you can see uh, assertion, we didn't expect that value going. What value? <laughs> tell me which value I gave in, and what was expected outcome. Right? I got yeah. use the use the F string to tell me I put this, but actually this was the one that was expected. Then my debugging and my changing of the code would come really, really fast. So, so whenever we do, I usually emphasize. Oh, I really want this assertion message when things fell to to be not to the boss, but to tell me exactly what went wrong. And what do I? What was expected of yeah. me, right? Uh, because I've seen very funny. Something went wrong, and I'm like, how does that help me? <laughs> something <laughs> went wrong, right? Uh, I want you to tell me exactly. Okay, we expected the, this dictionary with this key, but these keys are not missing, right? So I know. Oh, okay. So it seems my change does not send this. So I need to change my code this way, right? So we um, like. Whenever we see, like, oh, the model failed, okay, I can see, okay, because the model has accuracy as degraded, uh, we expected it to be, say, 98%. Then now it's at 92%. Then something failed. Then I know, okay, I need to retrain the model. I need to do something about the model to push yeah. the accuracy up, right? So
0: Yeah, I also so try yeah. to I, – I like the, the strings that you can add to asserts. I also try to tell everybody that I work with to use descriptive variable names within their mm, tests mm. Um, yeah. so that when when I have a test failure, we can turn on show locals and yeah, 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 dump yeah. all the locals with the test failure. And then we can. it helps to describe what's going on. So.
1: Yeah, yeah. But but I've also started another culture in my team. I usually say, when I come to your code base, I will just like to go directly to your tests. And by looking at your test, I should know what this package is doing. Oh, yeah. Right? Because yeah. I, I don't need to start going from this to that to this, that to that to figure out what's going on. I really care less. I want to go to test and I know exactly what package does what, what function interact with what function, what are the expected output. So by me looking at your test, I it should tell me exactly what's going on yeah uh so so in this case they are they and then this actually enforces them to write good tests because they know i really the first place i go look is not everything else i just go directly to the tests folder oh, i
0: like it right? um and hopefully this will enforce the test at least early if not test first um because when you have to write the tests from uh from like from that model to like if describe a package that means you're going to write tests that use utilize the API for the package
1: mm-hmm.
0: um and then if the tests are hard to write you're going to change the API so that it's easier to write the tests yes. and and doing that early is the right time to do it so
1: yeah 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 well but i think um, because when you have mostly junior developers you know they usually say why do i need to write a test that seems to be very Unnecessary that I'm just testing this. And then I go like, yeah, it's necessary when our code base is very small, but we know that our code base usually grows with the demand. Yeah. And then the thing that you thought was unnecessary becomes the most pivotal part. And um, I also say when we onboard new uh, people into our project, it's really easy just taking them through the tests. Uh, yeah. To explain what is it that we're trying to achieve.
0: Thank you so much. I want to learn more about machine learning and uh, and pipelines and stuff, and then maybe come back and uh, talk to you some more sometime.
1: Yeah, definitely. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Thank you. Thank you, Prason. That was a really interesting talk. Thank you, PyCharm, for sponsoring this episode. Visit them at testandcode.com/slash PyCharm. Thank you, Patreon supporters. Become a supporter yourself by going to testandcode.com support. That's all for now. Now go ahead and test something.